Welcome to this week's very special episode of The Last Refuge. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Taryn, also known as Bria, and with me I have... Story consultant, Robert Huff. What? <laughs> Last week, I have no idea what happened because we have no idea when these will be released. We kind of do, but I don't know. Uh, here we are. We all know how distracted and sidetracky I like to get, so buckle up for some fun. I am about to go in-depth with story consultant, Robert Huff. Today... Is Robert real or a figment of GM Jazzyhan's brain? Will Robert confirm that lawyers do indeed need to turn their chairs around to make a good point? And most importantly, how does Robert feel about Robert being named after him? Let's find out. Hey, y'all. Hey. So many great <laughs> questions to start. So many good. And I'm going to forget that I need to ask all of these questions. Yeah. It's um, also going to be an hour of me just talking about lawyerly things. Is that what we're, we're aiming for? I think no. so. Yeah. I need some advice. So okay, um, this episode is called Lawyer <laughs> Advice. Um, do you have any dice with you? I, unlike apparently everyone else who is in our podcast, did listen to the prior Taryn talk. So oh, I brought. Yes, you're prepared. Die. All right. Yeah. So let's roll and find out how we're going to do here. <gasps> I got an 18. Nice. And I crit. This is going to be the best. This is It's Whoa. the last episode of Taryn Talks. I think what the listeners don't know is that you and I hardly know each other. We have very briefly seen each other through Zooms. And I had this joke a long time ago when I started the Taryn Talks that I was purposely not adding you. You don't know this. I was not adding you on social media because I wanted to do it when we did our Taryn Talks. And then it got to a point where I was like, this just looks rude on my behalf to <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Also, you probably must have been thinking, why didn't I add you? I mean, on the reciprocal end of that, huh? Sure. Now, now, now I'm going to re- re-question my motives in life. I think you should. And I, you know what? I was, I was rather insulted. So I think we can end things here. Um, and this has it been was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is the most we need to know each other. I think that we should keep a distance and I think that that will feel appropriate for everyone involved. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I mean, life story wise, uh, my roommate who has, I've on many of our streams or our zoom calls, I bring in little kitties, little Just- foster kitties. Uh, unfortunately, she left, uh, mm. and so I lost all of my foster kitties. We had four at the time uh, in the past like week or so, and I lost our foster fail, Nikita, so I'm very sad about that, and I'm Aww. looking to potentially get my own kitties, uh, slash move in somewhere else, so yeah. that's what I'm currently doing. Would you do fostering again, or would you, uh, like, you just want to be covered in cats all the time? Yeah. <laughs> possibly, I mean, possibly the former leading to the latter. I mean, uh, I told my roommate this was the first time I had ever had a pet. Growing up, my mom was allergic. Uh, and then when I got older, I just had that ingrained in me that like I wasn't able or willing to do a pet because I had never done when I was young. Mm-hmm. So here I am at 30 something years old and I'm having my first pet experience. And now, yeah, like you said, at one point in time, we were covered in five cats and it was the best. <laughs> that I mean, that is one of the questions. I assume that then makes you a cat person, or are you not sure? Uh, I know I'm a cat person in terms of my affection for the ones. We've had 20 fosters during the oh pandemic uh, at various times. Some people are like, oh, you had 20 cats in your house at one time? And I'm like, no, that's that's bananas. But I've never actually... My father owns a dog nowadays, uh, so I visited him a couple weeks at a time, and I played with Nacho, his chihuahua. Nacho. Uh, yeah, a little baby. But uh, I've never raised a dog, so I don't know what the experience is like. I mean, I, maybe I just need to throw myself at it and see what happens. But as of right now, in terms of what I have life experiences with, definitely cats. 
Okay. We'll give you some time. I was cat yeah. and then I switched to dog. And I think I've said this before. And now I'm just in the baby camp because keeping things alive <laughs> is just, it's too difficult. But I have Aww. switched back to cat because they're much easier than the dogs. And the barking, there's a lot of barking. I have two little dogs, so there's a lot of barking. Okay. So let's become friends. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me, we already kind of started to touch on this. So tell me a little bit about you as a little one, yeah. a wee one. A little baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, uh, so I'm originally from Miami, Florida, and I was an only child growing up, uh, which means I had probably a lot of lonely child syndrome issues. <laughs> uh, I got most of the things that I wanted, uh, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized one of the biggest things I wanted was potentially someone else in my life, a sibling, someone to do things with. I would say uh, I was also similar to many of our co- podcasts, a very precocious child, reading a lot. My parents originally put me in a Baptist uh, private school and then ultimately took me out to go into public school because that's where the gifted program was and yada mm-hmm. yada like that mm-hmm. drama and now we know from Abbey Elementary how messed up the gifted program actually is I don't know if you've seen it um, I have not <laughs> but I am uh, I was part of that program as well yeah so yeah I know first so, so all the pressures and stuff I would say that I was always very well, no, I went through a phase, apparently, when I was very, very young, where I was a bully. Uh, mm. And my mom and dad tell me that, like, I was called home because our church slash school was, like, a couple blocks away. They sent me home several times from the parish to be like, Robert, like, pushed a little boy down or whatever the case may be. It got more violent than that. I was, mm. I don't know. I was acting out. Uh, but then as I got older, uh, all of that kind of dissipated and I became super nerdy. Uh, I got really into high fantasy. Uh, I played lots of video games growing up with my father. It was kind of our escape nice. uh, from the household as a whole. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I really got into gaming itself at a young age. Uh, and then when I got older, that became like a part-time hobby. So uh, I think all of that was leading up to this moment. And then other than that, I mean, there were interesting moments of my childhood that I don't think a lot of other people went through. For example, and kind of funny, kind of problematic story is when I was growing up, social media for me wasn't something that I controlled. Uh, my mom was always the cheerleader and was very popular herself uh, when she was in school. And she always wanted me to be that person, except mm-hmm. I wasn't. So my MySpace, my live journal, my everything initially was actually controlled by my mom. And she would like reach out to peers at school and set up like friendships and dates and conversations. And then she would drop me off at these people's houses and I would have no knowledge, no interactions with them other than really awkward moments. Uh, so that was just... <laughs> A little drama growing up. And like, that's really hard for a lot of people to even understand. But yeah. How did you feel about that? Growing up, both me and my father are a little bit the same way. We're very much uh, yes people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is a very, um, someone who knows what she wants and knows uh, how to get that from people. And so we just kind of would follow my mom, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never really questioned it until I started living on my own, uh, which is when I got to New York, which was about 10 years ago at this point in time. And then I started talking to people and started going to therapy and like all the other classic things that 
all men should do, but anyone in general should do. Mm. Uh, and had conversations with a lot of people about healthy upbringings and realized some of those things and other things uh, were problematic in various ways and led to a lot of neuroses, including a lot of introvertedness that I think I have with new people because in the back of my mind, I'm like, Maybe you know X, Y, Z about me, and I have no idea anything about you, and it, it, it drives me a little banana sometimes. I did not expect that story to come. I've never heard anything <laughs> before. Yeah, most people have it. Also, anyone who knew me when I was much younger, I don't think anyone listens to this. Uh, you might not have been talking to me. You might have been talking to my mom. So most likely you were talking to my mom, actually, because I also hated phones when I was growing up. So did you? So you knew she was doing this. So like the live journal stuff, live journal specifically is what I'm interested in here, is like... Yeah. Did you like read her journal entries for it? What were her journal? This is get, we're, we're not ever going to get to anything else. This is what our conversation is. Welcome to therapy with Taryn. Oh, it still works. It's a double T. Yeah. I mean, there were, I kept my own separate private account in which no one was essentially reading it other than myself. And I think she wasn't, at least on live journal, she wasn't posting all that much. I mean, there's only so much that a 30, 35 year old Hispanic woman would know about the life of a, a boy yeah. uh, growing up. So I think it was a lot of it was about interacting with people. Uh, so like she would create an account on things like live journal in order to be able to comment and Got or it. like look at other people so she could get information about them and then potentially use that in segues and or uh, conversations with uh, people, peers at my school. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot there. So, <laughs> I mean, my question right before you told that story was like, when did you find your people? So <laughs> were the yeah. people that you found in that kind of nerdier realm, was that mm. why this kind of called so much to you? Like how? Sure. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, a lot there as well. So ultimately I left Florida because uh, there's a lot of anti-LGBTQ sentiment. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of queer bashing. I went to private schools and like kind of white dominated spaces so i went to university of miami for example mm -hmm. i went to like a southern baptist church uh, for a good part of my life uh and none of those sp and also just the community in miami because it's heavily hispanic is a little bit machismo mm -hmm. uh so a lot of my particular uh politics and identity uh didn't necessarily fit in uh with a lot of communities that i grew up with it wasn't until i left Florida, and I knew I wanted to leave Florida in order to go up north to find people that thought the same way as me. I went to law school at uh, CUNY, which is one of the more progressive law schools in the nation with people mm -hmm. who value lawyering to help mm -hmm. folks. At all those institutions, uh, the jobs that I eventually would have at like public defender's offices and things like that. Right now I work for Housing Works. They're the largest provider of services for people living with HIV. Mm -hmm. uh, and also they have a history of like really, really radical queer activism. So like all these spaces are where I found my people. And then amongst them, one of the peoples that I found was Eugenio because we uh, went to the same board gaming cafe essentially in, in Astoria. And we met there and he realized I was weird and quirky and liked a lot of the same things he did and now I'm part of this larger group and know all of y'all so uh yeah it wasn't until I got to New York that I would say I really found myself and or knew who I was or found my found family I said found like 80 times I apologize <laughs> how, how dare you we're that's not allowed here um <laughs> 
Well, that, I mean, gosh, you just answered like five of my questions in one because I didn't really know, like I knew kind of the group that you came from with him. Um, so I didn't really know kind of. But I, I, and the reason why I'm talking about any of it is I do believe one of my core values is like radical honesty. And so mm-hmm. on a thing like this and talking about my life story, if someone asks for it, uh, yeah, I usually share <laughs> a lot of interesting things. <laughs> I think that's so important too. I think especially with how we as this next generation are kind of coming up and raising humans and all of that. I think it has become so important to so many of us and we are likely in a bubble of people that do this, but like yeah. it, I do think that it is um, important to share parts of ourselves in our story because it, it normalizes things. I mean, I went through, I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast, but like my husband and I went through IVF with all of our children and infertility with all of our children. Um, and I will tell that to anyone who listens, anyone who stares at one of my children and goes, they're adorable. I'm like, we did IVF because I want them to know that number one, it's totally normal. And number two, that it's, it, if, if they're going through that, that I'm a person that they can talk to about that. Who knows? We might have a listener who reaches out to you because they're like, my mom did that or my mom does that or whatever, you know? Like, it's just important to share those stories so people don't feel yeah. so alone. Please reach out, listeners, because there's not many of us who had our lives essentially masqueraded by our parents, so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and they basically have made television shows about her at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, all right, I'm steering us away from her again. What is your, do you have any ties to musical theater at all? I would say I enjoy it, but unlike you and Eugenio and Alex, uh, like directly participating, no. Uh, when I was younger, I used to be in choir, and so I always had a deep appreciation for just generally music and the theater element, but once again, because of the upbringing that I had in a very machismo, Hispanic culture, a mm-hmm. lot of that was considered effeminate and or like reasons to target sexuality and or gender identity. So it wasn't yeah. uh, socially acceptable. And it wasn't until college that I felt even remotely able to break away a little bit from that. And then it wasn't until I left Miami and slash Florida in general that I embraced anything else. So as an adult, I love musical theater, but yeah. never got into it as younger. Does your does your brain still fight that stuff? So if you find anything that is traditionally effeminate, does your brain be like, no, you can't do that? Does it still do that? Yeah, uh, I think it does pretty regularly, uh, especially since the communities that I sa- surround myself nowadays are almost exclusively queer in some mm-hmm. capacity, whether we're talking about gender identity, whether we're talking about folks who are trans or, ge- or non-binary, whether mm-hmm. we're talking about sexuality. My clientele, my friends, my found family, everyone identifies essentially as queer in some capacity. Yeah. And in the back of my mind, I know like when I talk to my mom, for example, or I talk to my father, like they're very accepting. They're liberal Democrats, but they're also liberal Democrats from Florida. Mm-hmm. So that means something a little different than it means being like a progressive from New York. Sure. Uh, so yeah, there's always that thing in my mind that I'm being judged and my like grandparents for example even as an adult and talking with them i i know there's commentary usually in spanish about, mm-hmm. <laughs> about yeah. who i am so yeah, for sure <laughs> <laughs> um okay let's steer over to tlr yeah um cool. uh, tlr the thing that we're here for i'm just gonna ask the normal question so sure. What's your favorite moment so far? I have no idea for you. The well, probably? (laughs) The well is great. I mean, in terms of my personality, I really like uh, impromptu and I like chaotic things. So So a lot of my... Yeah, very similar. (laughs) 
a lot of my favorite moments are things that like are not plot relevant whatsoever. For example, in the very third season, uh, the first Temple Arcanium, that entire first floor in which there was like when Flick has May stolen, when there was that uh, thing, uh, the li- there's like a little wall piece that opened out and then there was like uh, an explosion of confetti uh and like a happy birthday i think it was happy birthday or surprise one of those two i think all of that i mean i i immensely enjoyed i really enjoyed in the kind of winter episode the uh and everyone makes fun of me this the snowmen that uh say the lines from batman beyond from arnold schwarzenegger uh-huh. uh yeah i I really love them because they're so dumb <laughs> Arnold, if you're listening, I apologize, but yeah. uh, yeah. it's a big fan of TLR. Uh, I mean, recent uh, seasons, I mean, I love, I know this isn't necessarily everyone's favorite, but when the party has deliberations and they're like talking about plans and I know XYZ is coming and like it's completely going to throw off your plans. Uh-huh. Or when there's just silly moments when, when Flick was in the toilet as the t- turtle. Uh-huh. Oh. That was beautiful. I mean, that that was such an amazing moment. The horny Hydra, uh, everything about that. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of your interactions with the ghost that happened. Oh my gosh! Uh, or when you almost dropped the exploding bag of beans. Oh my gosh! Uh, when, I mean, there's so many great moments that are just. Pure comedy. That I have completely forgotten. I mean, I actually am going to rewrite my answer to this, so we'll need to go back and edit. That like that first, everything, like when Flick got his mace stolen, yes, that's that's top 10 for me, for sure. That confetti, I'm still obsessed with that confetti. So I'm changing my answer. Everything Robert just said is now my official answer. And then there's also like darker parts, but are very like narrative beat moments. So when Biz, for example, was turned into Glorp Biz, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just that, that whole episode or two was beautiful and how, uh, Lydia like handled that, I think was a, a pure masterpiece. I think there was the whole Silson ep- episodes, which I know you weren't a part of, but the, the trio, I mean, so good. handling what in real life would be traumatic. And like navigating in a very like, it's not positive, but in a way that like told a a story that um, mood both themselves as people had character development, but also like had some uh, growth in that town because they get themselves away from obviously mind control, but Mm -hmm. in the world as a whole. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of moments and I I know I keep talking. So, and I know we're out of time. So (laughs) do you have, do you have a least favorite moment? Cause I think you actually might be a bigger fangirl than me at this point. So I will say the least favorite moment for me is there's two things. One, I think when Ohenia and I were initially talking about how the end seasons would result, there was a plan in mind to keep, um, oh, what's her name? Oh, I can't believe her name escaped me right at this moment. You killed her on a dragon. Samyaza? Samyaza, yes. Nice, was a, brain. Yeah, that was great. I wouldn't have expected you of all people to get that. <laughs> <laughs> but you've done re- re-listens recently. I, that's unfair of me. I have uh, listened to two episodes, so... <laughs> So Samyaza, there was a conversation that we had about whether or not there would be a redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that Ohenio told me was that this group in particular, because of past trauma, would never forgive and or uh, allow 
uh, an NPC who showed their true colors as evil, like another chance. And we ultimately worked that in and that was fine. But I really had in mind, like, potentially all these people could be saved because yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a goodness inherent to everyone. Yeah. Uh, and then some people are irredeemably evil. And that's also folks preference especially in a dnd setting in which mm-hmm. like you're fighting all the time uh and yeah that's there's nothing wrong with that but i i had a dream that the tieflings and the asimars would one day get together i thought for a minute that might happen i thought that there was a, a a chance of that happening at one point and then it became very clear that it just was not going to happen because i love the visual of that i love the visual of all of us going together and ending up fighting both of the the dads i thought that would have been pretty cool and then we yeah, found out we I, have bigger problems yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the first season or two, uh, when Ohenny and I were chatting about the world as a whole, uh, I was, and Ohenio was as well, uh, once we started doing it and hearing it, how it sound very strongly against this uh, kind of religious undertone that we yeah. were developing for the campaign. So I'm glad yeah. we, we ultimately... Uh, moved away from that and the party themselves chose to move away from it so it wasn't like a forced decision so yeah yeah and i don't i don't think it felt that way for us for sure okay who is your favorite npc favorite npc i mean i really and this is like a guest player so i don't know if it's an npc or not but in my mind it sort of is the teacher uh, who you interacted with oh, was played by TK. Was that TK? Uh, I really love that that character role. Someone who is like teaching a community that's uh, essentially cloistered themselves underground on how to deal with all those problems. Uh, and then I really love, and this is kind of a cop out, uh, Oglorp for many, many reasons. Yeah. Most of which I can't share <sighs> with a player or before the end of the campaign. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, okay. Mary, fight, kill, kobolds, orcs, Yuanti. I knew this question was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and maybe this is the contrarian in me, everyone in this group loved the kobolds. And I mean, in terms of my dating life, I am also uh, often someone who is described as being attracted to folks who are a little bit damaged. Mm. Uh, people say I have a savior complex. So I would probably marry the Yanti mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I would fuck the orcs. And that means kobolds, unfortunately, are dying. Well, we did create a beautiful way uh, to have funerals for them. So at yep, least there's yep, that yep. portion of yeah. it. <laughs> um, how do you feel about Robert being named after you? Let's do it. That was uh, kind of a, a joke character at first. I mean, Ohenio was like, we need... Well, actually, when Ohenio and I first discussed the actual layout of the Arcanium, we were like, we wanted to have several floors. We wanted it to be interactive. We wanted every floor to feel different. And then at the time, I think Dungeon of the Mad Mage had just come out. And there's a, a level in Dungeon of the Mad Mage that's kind of like a, a, a gaming arena in which there's a beholder who's an announcer who's just like narrating everything that's happening and is like, oh, looks like he just failed his say or whatever you want to do as that beholder, just making fun of the players as they're dying. 
Uh, and I enjoyed that so much yeah. as a DM that I'm like, we need some omnipresent uh, voice and or persona just running the scenes, just fucking with the players. <laughs> uh, uh, and I think that really adds something to it. And he was like, okay, if you're going to be this little chaos monkey, then that person's going to be named after you. It's going to be Robert. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't have a character in this campaign. But I also don't want to be like a guest. And he's like, that's fine. We'll just give him several voices and that should cover it. And then you'll never have to <laughs> record yourself. I'm like, perfect. Uh, and that's how he came to me. I love him so much. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. The big one. If you had to play another TLR character, who would it be? If I have to answer this question in the here and now, at this exact moment, I'm someone who... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a running Google Drive of every character I've ever played. Uh, and I've done a thing where I, I'm trying to play every subclass, every class, and every sub-race, and every race. Although now they're no longer called race. Well, they're still called races, but like we're trying to get away from that language. Mm -hmm. And of all the classes that I have played or not played, I would, Monk is actually the least played class that I have done. <laughs> Uh, so I think actually in the here and now, Bizdeer would be the character I would pick up, assuming for some reason Lydia was unable to do it and someone just had to play her character. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be the character I would currently want to play. Uh, in terms of the characters I normally love to play, I mean, persona-wise, and this is weird because it's essentially your persona, but I would, <laughs> I, I would actually, yeah, <laughs> I would be the, your character in a normal campaign. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think those are the two characters I would end up playing, uh, if I was to replace anyone on the show currently. Yeah. Do you, do you have a thing that all of your D and D characters have in common since you are trying to play the rainbow? No, I mean, I, I, when I first started, and this is the same story that everyone does, there were characters that very much spoke about who I was and like my yeah. morals, my values. But like, since then, my, my drive of characters, I have approximately like 50, 60 something characters I played over the past seven years. So the whole gamut, uh, any alignment, silly backstories, serious backstories, uh, love interests with other PCs, everything and anything I think that I've heard in like uh, a live stream that I've stolen because I'm like, that's a hilarious idea. Uh, and now I'm going to do it in my own home game and see where it goes. And uh, yeah, so I've, there's nothing really unique. I've always been the person, especially as someone who is also a DM, who knows when the party is kind of flailing a little bit or they need a jump start. So I'm mm -hmm. always the person willing to push the button. I don't think I've ever played a character that's conservative in the sense of their risk adverse. Mm. So maybe that's my one quality in all my characters, but always a person willing to do the bananas option because it's the most enjoyable or it moves the story forward. It's so funny. Every time I think of a question, you like answer it within. Uh, so I was like, oh, describe your, I know you DM sometimes, describe that. Um, so then let's go to my favorite question for you and Huge, which is if you could change any rule within D&D, what would you change? Oh, I remember you had asked this, but I didn't prepare for this. Hmm. Probably the rule I would change is, and this is a home... I mean, I know people can homebrew this, and this is just in the base game, 
but and it's also something that like isn't really a big thing for most people but to multi-class there's uh like stat requirements that i think sometimes people think because they don't have xyz stats they therefore are unable to multi-class because they're not wise enough or smart enough Mm -hmm. uh, or charismatic enough or strong enough whatever the case may be and at least when i am a dm all those like narrative decision choicing and like who you want to be as a person i try to remove any and all of those limitations that come from the base games Mm -hmm. so that and anything similar something that would otherwise restrict how people feel they can play the game Mm -hmm. and make sure that as much as possible if you want to be a wizard who has six intelligence or whatever the case may be like go for it those are often the funniest and the most enjoyable characters of my play style because Mm -hmm. they 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 turn people's expectation of what's going to happen i do think it i mean I am definitely in a D&D bubble, but I do think that it feels like it is leaning more towards the game rules in general, just saying like, hey, rule of cool is like the number one rule. Like this is the thing, make this work for your home game, make this work for however it makes the game fun to you. And I do, I I am hoping that it leans more in that direction because I do, that's one of the things I love the most about TLR is that we are all so willing to just like be here and tell the story, whatever that means. Obviously the dice are in charge, but. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little (laughs) funny because when Ohenia and I versed, did talk about the TLR and like our DMing styles. Both of us, even though we enjoy Rule of Cool and that we're very much rules, uh, lawyers. Yes. And <laughs> so we, we have a lot of rules memorized. We like to enforce those rules. Yeah. And one of the things that we both had to work on, I think it might have been something Ohenio even said on the air, uh, maybe season two or three, but it was the fact that uh, we need to embrace a little bit more rule of cool, uh, just mm-hmm. to make this podcast a, a little bit more enjoyable for everyone. Uh, and that was hard, both for both of us, because we, we, we're so encouched in like numbers. And, yeah. And DM Jazzy Hands is a numbers wizard, and I'm just a, a boy who writes stories, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of this. Just yeah. a boy who writes stories. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's been fun process, us like being sillier with things and being comfortable in that space. And now I think both of us are pretty good about that. Yeah. What's your, um, what's your favorite part about D&D in general? Well, I mean, once again, this harkens a little bit to my backstory. And so but every, another, well, this one specifically, this is a, a little bit of a trigger warning for uh, depression and suicide. So if, uh, if you want to go ahead and take a few minutes any listeners feel free to skip over this next session but when i was getting into like 16 to 20 uh i started going through significant depression uh and i was suicidal for several years and then ultimately i became a suicide counselor when i got to mm-hmm. like uh, junior and senior year of college and i had lots of discussions with people about various ways in which to feel more connected and I think the greatest ability or triumph of D&D and one of the reasons I've jumped so heartily into it is when I walked into the gaming store uh, seven years ago, I had never done D&D, mm-hmm. but it was such uh, an ability to socialize, to feel safe, to be able, feel accepted, to not be judged, to just live your experience. And I know not everyone has those spaces, and I'm very fortunate that I found DM Jazzy Hands and others through my local gaming store experience but 
it's that ability to have a shared storytelling space in which mm-hmm. people can feel comfortable being who they are or being someone that they're not and finding an escape from that. I love D&D and RPGs in general for that purpose. And I'm a hardcore. I haven't gone back to video games since I started doing board games and TTRPGs. So. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. I completely agree with that. I, uh, it's the, I'm sure I see this every one of these Terran talks, but there have been several occasions where I have been drunk in a bar and someone's, I say something about D&D and someone's like, oh, I've always wanted to blah, blah, blah. And I literally start like being like, okay, so here's all the really amazing things about it. And it really, for me, is the storytelling. It really is the, if someone needs an escape, if someone wants to explore a part of their personality with other human beings and not just in a sim or whatever. I, I love that aspect of it and I love the I love that you've been able to to tie that in not only to your life but to other people's lives too. That's amazing. There's a, a great organization out there that recently is publishing uh, specifically an RPG for children slash young adults who are identified as autistic. It's called mm. Game to Grow. Mm. Uh, and I think they're they and others are really exploring the use of just RPGs and D D in a therapeutic setting and what, how empowering and reinforcing that can be. Uh, so I strongly recommend if anyone's interested. Uh, I know there's Sev- Dr. B and there's other Twitter personalities that are out there who are exploring that same thing. Uh, so if you're interested in that connection, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out and or look up these people yourself, and I'm happy to direct you. Maybe DM can also link it in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, DM Jazzy Hands personally knows several of these people, so that he, he knows a lot more of them than I do. So I also don't know how show notes work. I just feel like that's a thing that people say on podcasts. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I we think there's the a little box. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's how it works. All right, we're going to go back into personal stuff. Oh, good. Um, what's your go-to happy song? Uh, lately, my go-to happy song, and once again, because I've recently got into musical theater... Uh, I've really been listening to a lot of Hades Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I listen to almost every day for the past couple of months, I mean, aside from the soundtrack, but I really like uh, the chant, which isn't like a very happy song, but I really enjoy its like messaging and its anti-capitalist like ideology and yada yada, a bunch of things that are real reasons That's why such a I would Robert make you happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like uh, going through the, the soundtrack in my head and I'm like, is that the right? Did he say the right one? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mainly because of its messaging. If I'm listening to like a bop, I doubt when I was young, I only listened to the songs that were from my father. So I had 70s, 80s and 90s. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was a young adult that I listened to anything my generation had heard. Uh, so I'm like the 2000s onwards. So I'm oh always gosh. like 10, 15 years behind everyone else. And so any anything that I name uh, right now is probably also like Dance Monkey by Tones and I is something that I've really gotten into. But that was like six years ago, seven years. Musical theater music. Oh, God. But <laughs> other people might like what you're saying. Got it. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Dance Monkey is something I've been listening to on the subway quite often. I'll look it up. Uh, it's good. I, I accidentally started playing it. Sorry. <laughs> Starting it off. Great. So and then see. musical theater, yes. Hades Town is what I'm currently listening to, musical theater, so I... Do you have a go-to song for when you're feeling sad? Nowadays, I mean, when I really want to get into like a mood, I'll either listen to like a soundtrack like Les Mis, and that really gets me into a mood, or I'll listen to the songs I listened to when I was like 16 to 20. Uh, which is a lot of like 
Death Cab for Cutie, like that genre of, of bands that were playing those type of songs. So that's what I really want to be like, oh, I'm feeling kind of sad right now. But fortunately, I haven't, I haven't felt that way in a long time since, since I've gotten more in a better place. Good. So we'll know anytime we hear Death Cab for Cutie that we just need to like do a yeah. little check in. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, all right, the two big questions. Uh, yeah. Describe your ideal day. If you've got all the money in the world, what's it looking like for you? And you've already laid parameters on this, right? You can't give people money or like you can't be altruistic. Yeah, because be selfish. we know we're all going to do that, probably. <laughs> so yes, I know. I know. So you've already don't, you've got all the money in the world and you've already donated and you've made the world a better place. So now what got does it. your ideal world look like? I mean, something else that I've talked to a lot of the found family that I found here in New York is we would buy and or create uh, some sort of like D&D Airbnb or mm-hmm. uh, a D&D, I mean, D&D in a castle is a thing, but yeah. like buying something equivalent uh, and then running it. Uh, and so having the ability to uh, move away from our somewhat dreary day jobs, although I love my job, I'm just, yeah. it is, it is it's still being job. a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and being able to either play games or like make people feel comfortable in uh, a storytelling space, whether it's LARPing or uh, any other RPG settings and like being able to run that maybe in a nice country area, not in a city. Uh, yeah, I think that would be really cool. So potentially I would spend all my money on that and make my dream and also several people's dream a reality. I love that. And I will attend regularly. <laughs> Even though I'm not invited, I will be in attendance. Wow, you're invited <laughs> at least once. Just once. yeah, I'll come on once. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's about that's the only uh, with moms we only get like one day a year, anyways. So like that's that's what I'll use it for. <laughs> um, all right, and then what's the most profound advice you've ever been given, or what advice would you like to share? So I don't know if it's advice because it's a line from a TV show, but. Uh, it's something that I think about mainly because I have it as my Gmail like status message. And so I see it all the time. And it's it always means so much to me that uh, I never have changed it. But it's, uh, it's a line from Man in the High Castle. So it used to be on Amazon. And it's generally a show that's set in a different reality in which the Nazis won uh, World War II. Uh, and there's interactions with other realities that including our own which obviously show the fall of of the nazis and and Hitler, i have to watch this uh this yeah is like I, I right would, up my alley i would recommend it uh and anyways the main character who's or one of the main characters is a nazi officer and he through various experiences if you're going to watch it i'm not going to reveal it comes to see a different reality in which he's not an officer he's like a normal father who lives in america who hasn't been conquered by germany and is having an otherwise happy life and his line uh, he has a line which once again i'm not going to say the line in case you watch the show the line is generally about having seen every other version of himself it's hard to accept that his reality is the one that he had to live and i think when i think about that message it's very much about like a lot of us especially as a suicide survivor and somebody who's like gone through depression it's very much about the life that we can create around us about the people we connect to uh and yes we're all going to go through experiences that are difficult and or overwhelming but a little cheesy but like 
things get better and we can find support and or strength. And even if we're alone, we can find ways in which we can bolster ourselves up in a way that moves us away from those negative times, negative people that might be in our past. And I think that's a lot about in D&D as well, the characters that I play, even the ones that are kind of evil. A lot of what I seek in their character growth is not necessarily redemption, but something that would give them purpose and or justification for the actions of what they're doing to themselves. Mm. It doesn't have to make sense to anyone else, but evil for the sake of evil, I don't think should or can exist, Uh, which also goes back to my Semyaza comment, but it is what it is. (laughs) And that, you wrapped that up so, there's a nice little ribbon on that, uh, is where we're going to leave it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's very special episode of The Last Refuge. You're being me bobbling your head. You can reach out to the TLR team by leaving us a podcast review or by dropping us a line on Twitter and Instagram at at DND Last Refuge. That's at D, the letter N, D, Last Refuge. If you've got more than 280 characters to say to us, you can also email us at dndlastrefuge at gmail.com. If you want to know more about us as players, access our Patreon for bonus content, see some awesome fan art, find out what cons we'll be attending, and get links to other streams and podcasts where you can see us playing even more D&D, you can go to our website at www.dndlastrefuge.com. We want to thank BattleBards for providing a lot of the fantastic music you hear on our show and D&D Beyond for being generally amazing in every way possible. Check out both of those services at BattleBards.com and DndBeyond.com. I also want to send so much thanks and love to all of our patrons, and I hope I pronounce all these correctly. Here we go again. Our Heralds of Denier, Shimigangut, Tanya, and Ark, our honorary party member, Seven. Our Shimmer Scale Tribe leader, leaders, Eugenio, Lisa Diane, Mercado Etheridge, Eliahu of Merc Grove, and Harmony Bat. Our Shimmer Scale Council members, Nat Rose, Tony Ayelis, Lucas Holcomb, Steffi Bernard, River Daniel, Stephen Mosley, Verpio, Kin, Sam Ellis, Kelsey G, Jay Sprig, Gordon Ross, Sam Rodman, Jabari Bunch, Tanya C. DePass, Adam Mandowookie, Avari Roman, Shane, Sophia, Lavender Kazi, Steven Sikora, and Popcorn Lizard. We are so grateful for every single one of you. Thank you so much for being our patrons. And finally, I want to thank Robert Huff, our story consultant, for being here. And of course, all of you for listening. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Taryn, and with me I have... Story consultant, Robert Huff. Happy gaming, y'all! Okay, so we're going to do the clap and then room tone, okay? Okay, clap and then room tone, okay. (laughs) Okay, so three, two, one. (laughs) That was so odd. That was not good. Let's do it again. Let's do it one more time. It's my first time. Okay, yeah, you've got to get, yeah, you can't type it this time. Okay, three, two, one. For some reason, the clapping's not working. One more time. I'm usually a very good clapper. <laughs> All right. Okay, I think wait, I wait. It start out. together. Start together. So then you go out in. Got it. Okay. Three, two, one. <laughs> so, for some reason, it's not my clapping skills are not working. <laughs>
Uh, fine. It's the We're going to move on. There's time. two of us. Yeah. He can figure yeah. it out. 